Du lytter til live fra det Kongelige Bibliotek. Jeg hedder Lise Bakhansen. Dette er anden del af samtalen mellem den nigerianske forfatter Shimamanda Ngozi Adichie og kulturjournalisten Sønder Rifbjerg. Hvis du ikke har hørt første del endnu, så kan du stoppe podcasten nu og finde første del i din podcast-app. Rigtig god fornøjelse. Now, if Melo in in America is happy and unhappy, and through her we get a fantastic description of what America is like for a woman like her coming from Nigeria, and she sees things and she says things that are not always popular. But some of the worst things she says about race and how the Americans are. I mean, even the opening chapter here with the American eating ice cream, on that is so mean of you, but that is so funny. Uh, mean? But, <laughs> yes, because we all think like that sometimes, and it's, it's not good to see it in writing. Yes, it is. Uh, I, I, what I wanted to say is that she has another way of expressing herself, which is the blog. Yes. And I was wondering if you invented this blog for Ifimelo to have uh, an even sharp, even sharper say on things. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the blog was. I wanted to say many things about race because um, I wanted this novel to also be social commentary. But I wanted to say them in ways that are different from from what one is supposed to say in literary fiction. Mm-hmm. And and I just knew that if I had her say them. As dialogue, it wouldn't work. It just it wouldn't seem right. And I also wanted these things to be said in a voice that was kind of different from her real voice, because the self that is, is in that blog is different from the self that lives every day. And so, yeah, the blog, um, <laughs> the blog was a device which I enjoyed very much. I've never blogged, but I would write these blogs and just stop and laugh. <laughs> Um, which in some ways was also worrying, because I thought, why am I so amused by my own humor? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this, you know, is what I think it is. Because it a, is very funny. <laughs> yeah, it but really you know is. what, I would love then to stop and think, is this normal? <laughs> right? I mean, should I be worried? But I had so much fun writing it. And, but also I felt that I was saying, I wanted to say things that I do think are important to be said. And the blog just seemed the perfect the perfect device, the, the kind of the immediacy of the blog, the way that the language could be very different. Um, and and the way that it just allowed certain things to be said, I think. Because no. some, some things are bit, I mean, the, even the blog is a fiction, but of course it, it stands out almost like something out of non, non-fiction, yeah. because it's yeah. based on apparently facts. I mean, literature yeah. is really uh, confusing, because you think that you're in a novel, and suddenly you are in a blog, and what is what? <laughs> and you have things like, where she says, um, you know, for all the zipped-up Negroes out there, this is your safe space. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing, I mean, I've never actually seen that in the blog, but I would like to. I, mean, I, I think that many, um, it's, it's uh, I think the idea of the zipped-up Negro, which I found hilarious when I came up with it. <laughs> but I think it, it says something about American life. Um, I mean, in some ways, Barack Obama is a zipped-up Negro. <laughs> the poor guy has to be. Of course. Yeah. How can we unzip him? (laughs) 
but, like but, but, and she gets a lot of followers for this blog. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, apparently there really is a need for a blogger <laughs> of her kind. Well, so, so I imagine. Yeah, but, but, yeah but, but I mean, you had me thinking that that would be very nice. But, but she still, and, and this blog is then discussed often between the friends that she's with, uh, with her different boyfriends, because in spite of Obinze being the great first love of her life and love of her life also eventually, there are other men in her yes, life. As there should be. As there should be. <laughs> yes. But I understand that in Nigeria, <laughs> this was not a popular issue. With, that's a worry with Ifemelo. Is, yeah. that, is that not right? Um, it wasn't about the other men in her life. It was more that many Nigerian women who read this book, and I'm just, I have to say I'm very happy that Nigerians actually are reading, reading it. It's doing yeah. very well in Nigeria. But many of the women are very upset about what they call um, uh, Ifemelu being a husband snatcher and Ifemelu breaking a marriage and, and all that kind of discourse. And what, it's, what it says to me, it doesn't surprise me. Right? So that Ifemelu is not necessarily popular and that Ifemelu isn't um, a female character who shies away from sexuality. That she's a female character who's very... Um, who is, is not reactive, who's proactive, who, who she's, she's in a good relationship with a man, but she cheats on him anyway. And these are not things that we expect of women. These are things we do not forgive easily. Yeah, we don't forgive women no. easily. Yeah, because we forgive men. <laughs> I, think, I think if Ifemela had been a man and everything was the same, Nigerian women wouldn't have a complaint. They would say, well, men will be men. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted, but, I, but, that, but that, that is important to me, really, the idea of a, of a woman not being apologetic for her sexuality, the idea of just even the subject of sex itself not being something that's used to, to shame a woman. Um, and I like that Ifemelu, you know, Ifemelu is deeply flawed, and, and I wanted her to be, because I think that's what it means to be human. <laughs> There's a lot of good sex in your book. I mean, actually, this could be a problem because, uh, wow, they have amazing sex in, in your books. Uh, it's uh, Not all the time. Though. Not all the time, yeah. not all the time. Actually, uh, that's one reason why she... Uh, she Ifimelo has a, a, a funny thing, a feature, which is also something in, in a lot of people have in your books. It, it, it's boredom. She's quite easily bored. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Actually, she cheats on one of her boyfriends because she's yeah. bored. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of curious as well. And yeah, that was I, the same. I have put those words together. <laughs> curious yeah. curious yeah, and, bo and boredom. I think people are, and people do. But, <laughs> but I think also that and in the novel, when, when her friend says to her, how could you have done it? And, and I think she's supposed to say, she's supposed to have a reason that's very deep. She's supposed to say, I felt abandoned by, by the boyfriend, but, but she's really just bored because he's, <laughs> he's wonderful. He's really, he's, he's, a, he's good to her, he's kind, he's, you know, sometimes she finds him annoying, but fundamentally he's a very good partner. But she still, she still destroys it. And, and he's white? <laughs> 
He's white, yeah. But that's not why. <laughs> that's not why. <laughs> Actually, if anything, the, the, it, it's, it's less his whiteness and more his Americanness. He's a particular kind of American that she would look at him sometimes and just think, why are you so optimistic and sunny and happy? Yeah. <laughs> He's too little melancholy for her. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kurt. His name is even Kurt, and uh, uh, he is—he's actually a very sympathetic uh, character. I must yeah. say, you—you uh, you can mock him a little, and but I know you like him very much. <laughs> yeah, very much. He is uh, sunny side up. Yes, <laughs> and and it's and I think one of the things that I found interesting about—I mean, it's a larger kind of—it's a generalization about America, but I think it's largely true. And it's also a class thing. There's a certain kind of middle class, upper middle class American enthusiastic optimism. Excited. Yes. The, oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and it, it, can, it can sometimes seem like a kind of naive, naive innocence in some ways. And it can be very charming, but also it can just be. It's easy to lose patience with it sometimes. <laughs> I can see you as the strict teacher in some context. <laughs> yeah. What do they say in America about Americana? Are they happy for your book? I know the reviews have been raving. I'm not talking about this, but I mean, what we are doing here tonight, you've done in several places yes. uh, in uh, roundabout in America. And yeah. uh, do they accept this? Because it is a satire of their country. And you do come from abroad. So what yes. do they say? They say, shut up and be grateful we let you in. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's actually, that's, that's actually not true. That's actually not true. <laughs> What this book has taught me, this book, I didn't, I wasn't sure, I really, I was prepared to have it be, you know, battered by reviewers and by readers. And I wrote it because it's a book I wanted to write, and also because I still get royalty checks from Half of a Yellow Sun. So I can still actually, you know, buy diesel for my generator in Nigeria and eat and go shopping. <laughs> Even if nobody buys this book. So I wrote the book I wanted to write. And what has made me so happy is that I've actually been very surprised by people who have embraced it. Mm. I mean, when I do these events, um, I often have a big uh, academic turnout. And, and this is a book that makes fun of academia in America. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> Even on the first page, I mean. <laughs> but, you know, but there's also a kind of, it's, it's also my, it's my American family. So it's kind of self-mockery. I mean, these are people I know, and I'm, I'm kind of like them in some ways. So it's, it's also a kind of looking in the mirror and saying, ha, 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 we're really very silly sometimes. <laughs> yeah. and, but many academics have said to me, thank you for writing the sort of thing that often isn't written about in serious fiction, because they're using a lot, many of them are using this in their classes, because they say it starts a conversation about race. And of course, this is America, where there's certain things one is not supposed to say about race. Um, an African-American woman at an event in Cambridge said to me, and this remains the best compliment, in my opinion, that I've received about this book. She said, thank you. You've written everything um, we think but we don't say. And then she said, and please know that you're never going to win any more prizes. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and for me, that was such a compliment because it, it's... <laughs> 
I mean, I said to her, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I've, I've won a few, so I'm kind of happy <laughs> not to. But I think what, really what she was saying is there's something truthful and, and um, raw and about this that might make people so uncomfortable that they will not reward you in the conventional way. Yeah. And I was very grateful to her for saying that. But she was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes it easy to be happy, double happy. <laughs> yep, because it went on to... So really, I've been, I've been very grateful and very pleasantly surprised by and the you, American... And I think you also really do love America because you, you cannot make fun of somebody yeah. that you don't also love. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I feel very grateful for America and to America. I, America is my... America is my rich uncle. Yes. Yeah. You're so naughty. <laughs> yeah, oh, my rich auntie. Well, no, rich uncle. Rich uncle who gives me pocket money but doesn't remember my name. Yeah. That's what America is. <laughs> you know, you, you feel very affectionate. <laughs> you feel very affectionate toward that uncle. But you're right, this, this book is... is um, there's a lot of affection. I read George Eliot's Middlemarch not so long ago, mm. and I thought it has the same. I mean, it, Middlemarch is tough on its people, but there's a lot of love there yes, too. So, I adore that novel. Yeah. Yes. So, I think we should perhaps hear from you again, Ellen, because I have another. Did you did you find it in the book? Because it's it, this is an extract from. Uh, Long uh, no, uh, from the end of the book. Did you mark it in yours? I'm afraid no. I did not. I just marked the other one. But I'll try and find it while you get up. And okay. but should we say perhaps just two words about? Will you say two words about where we are? I'll me. say two words about it. <laughs> this is oh, this is a scene uh, that I chose because it's to me it's, it's heartbreaking and scary. And, uh, and we've touched upon what it is about because it's uh, the result of Ephemelus being a husband snatcher because this is Obinze leaving the wife that he has uh, married while she was in America and actually left him. So there's nothing to be heard about, but she comes back and uh, things happen. And he's now telling his wife the consequences. Let's hear it. Han var træt, da han vågnede morgenen efter, og hans hoved var fuld af en stor sorg. Kosi var allerede oppe og havde taget bad, og sad nu ved sit toiletbord, som var dækket af cremer og kosmetik, så nydeligt placerede krukker, at han nogle gange havde lyst til at sætte hænderne under bordet og vælte det, Bare for at se, hvad der ville ske med krukkerne og flaskerne. Det er længe siden, du har lavet æg til mig, set, sagde hun, og kom over for at kysse ham, da hun så, at han var vågen. Så lavede han æg til hende og legede med Bucci i et stue nedenunder. Og da Bucci var faldet i søvn, læste han aviserne hele tiden med hovedet fuld af sorg. I familie tog stadigvæk ikke telefonen. Han gik op i soveværelset. Kosi var i gang med at gøre orden i sit skab. En bunke sko lå med hælene opad på gulvet. Han stod i døren og sagde stille. Jeg er ikke lykkelig, Kosi. Jeg er forelsket i en anden. Jeg vil skilles. 
Jeg skal nok sikre, at du og Bushi ikke mangler noget. Hvad? Hun vendte sig fra spejlet og kiggede tom på ham. Jeg er ikke lykkelig. Det var ikke sådan, han havde planlagt at sige det. Jeg er forelsket i en anden. Jeg skal nok sikre... Hun løftede hånden og vendte håndfladen mod ham for at få ham til at tige stille. Sig ikke mere, sagde hendes hånd. Sig ikke mere. Det gik op for ham, at hun ikke ville vide mere. Hendes håndflade var bleg, næsten gennemsigtig, og hun kunne se det grønne virvare af vener. Hun sænkede hånden, så sank hun langsomt ned på knæ. Det var let for hende at komme ned på knæ, for det gjorde hun ofte, når hun bad i tv-rummet ovenpå, sammen med hushjælpen og barnepigen, og hvem der ellers måtte være. Uchi, sagde hun ind imellem bøndernes ord, mens Pucci fortsatte med sin barnesnak. Men ved slutningen pippede hun altid med sin høje stemme. Amen! Når Pucci sagde, Amen! Med den glæde, den begejstring, frygtede Ubense, at hun ville vokse op og blive en kvinde, som med det ord, Amen, ville feje de spørgsmål bort, som hun ellers ville have stillet verden. Du sang Kosi på knæ for ham, og han nægtede at forstå, hvad hun lavede. Obinsi, det her er en familie, sagde Kosi. Vi har et barn. Hun har brug for dig. Jeg har brug for dig. Vi bliver nødt til at holde sammen på den her familie. Hun knælede og tikkede ham om ikke at gå. Og han ville ønske, at hun i stedet for havde været rasende. Kosi, jeg elsker en anden kvinde. Jeg er forfærdelig ked af at såre dig sådan, og det handler ikke om en anden kvinde, Obinsi, sagde Kosi, og kom op og stå med en stemme, der var ved at blive hård, og øjne, der var ved at blive kolde. Det handler om at holde sammen på den her familie. Du har aflagt et løfte foran Gud. Jeg har aflagt et løfte foran Gud. Jeg er en god hustru. Vi har et ægteskab. Tror du bare, du kan ødelægge den her familie, fordi din gamle kæreste er kommet til byen? Ved du, hvad det betyder at være en ansvarlig far? Du har et ansvar over for barnet nedenunder. Det, du gør i dag, kan ødelægge hendes liv. Og det, bare fordi din gamle kæreste kommer tilbage fra Amerika, Bare fordi du har fået noget akrobatisk sex, der minder dig om dine universitetsdage. Obelse tog et par skridt tilbage. Hun kendte altså til det. Han vendte om, gik ind på sit kontor og låste døren. Han foragtede Kosi for at have vidst det hele tiden og lavede som om hun ikke vidste det. Og for den ydmygelsens slam, det efterlod i hans mave. Han havde haft sin hemmelighed, og det havde ikke engang været en hemmelighed. Flere lag af skyld tyngede ham. Ikke kun skyld over at ville forlade Kosi, men over overhovedet at gifte sig med hende. Han kunne jo ikke først gifte sig med hende, velvidende, at det skulle han ikke have gjort. Og nu, hvor de havde et barn, havde lyst til at forlade hende. 
Hun var fast besluttet på at forblive gift. Og det var også det mindste, han kunne gøre. Han skyldte hende at forblive gift. Panikken skød gennem ham ved tanken om at blive ved med at være gift. Uden Efemilo virkede fremtiden som endeløs, glædesløs monotomi. Han sagde til sig selv, at nu var han dum og dramatisk. Han blev nødt til at tænke på sin datter. Alligevel følte han, at han allerede var på flugt, da han satte sig i sin stol og vendte sig om efter en bog i reolen. have to tell me why you choose that. Well, out of many reasons, because this is a novel about race and hair and love. And I think that uh, of all the things that appealed to me for several reasons, this was, I mean, this is where love and obligation meet. And isn't that an eternal problem with any love? that or boredom and curiosity and you know the <laughs> yeah. way you handle yeah. things and i think it's it, I, i think it's a, a brave scene because you say that it's important to talk about things that are difficult to talk about and race is of course difficult to talk about but it's an issue that you will be able to discuss sort of but this is very difficult because it's pure emotion and a lot of moral on top of it. So why did you write it, I might ask? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Oh, just to go back. <laughs> you see, it's even more difficult to talk about than race. <laughs> no, I think I, the, the sort of thinking about the why is quite difficult because I, I'm not even sure I know the why. I'm not sure I know the, the whys of, of, of much of my fiction writing. Um, but You know, what we said earlier about many, particularly Nigerian, actually not just Nigerian, but um, also African, my African readers, and African-American, um, who have labeled Ifemelu such things as husband snatcher, um, destroyer of the marriage. I think maybe I wrote that scene because, well, because first it rings true, and it's very loosely based. I remember a story about um, a man who wanted to leave his wife, Uh, in Lagos, and she knew he had he was seeing somebody else and had been seeing somebody else for a long time. And and the usual thing is to pretend that it's not happening as long as the marriage remains a marriage of sorts. But this man was a little unusual, as is Obinza in the novel, because this is not the norm. The norm for a Nigerian man is not to say I want to leave because I'm in love. The norm is to have the wife and then have the mistress. Yes. And I remember the story of this woman getting down on her knees as a response to the man wanting to leave her. And it stayed with me for a long time because it made me sad. And, and as is the case with gender for me all the time, I like to, to switch things. So I thought the reverse would never happen. That the woman says to a man in Nigeria, I want to leave you, and the man, you know, he might get violent or he might say, well, get out. You're, you're, and, and the idea that 
reasonable response instead of anger, hurt, or, or other complex things is to beg. In that, and, and not even to beg with dignity, to beg with that kind of absolute humiliation. Um, and it was, I wanted to write that, but Kosi is, is actually not a character that I'm very sympathetic to. So it was also quite interesting. I mean, sympathetic to, to the position she occupies in the world, but to the character itself, I find her quite annoying. She's, <laughs> you know, she's, the, she's the kind of woman who, who is very interested in performing gender. So it's not really about what she thinks. She says what she thinks she should say. She's, she, you know, she, she pretends to be deeply upset when Ubinze's mother won't ask her to clean up because she says, I'm here to help, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, inside her, she might actually be quite irritated about helping, but she won't show it, because she has to be the good wife. And yeah, I wanted to, um, I, yeah, I wanted to write about that idea of, of um, never holding men responsible, which is that this happens in this marriage, but, but many of my female readers, thank you, Femelu, snatched husband, as though somehow the husband is this inanimate subject that you can pick up when you want to, as though he, you know, but I think in a larger sense, and one of the things I'm interested in gender is, is not just male, female, but also female, female. It's sort of the, the, the way that women are very quick to be, um, to judge other women, very quick to, to condemn other women. So, so if Emela is seen, Obinza is immediately innocent, if Emela is the problem. And I find that very interesting because, you know, I think, I think that if it's a question of being a problem, both are problems. <laughs> I mean, both, you know. I, I thought, why would he marry her in the first place? And my own answer was that she's very pretty. She is very pretty. And, but you know, so he, he cares about her and, and she's a good wife. <laughs> and, and, and he's at a point in his life where he, he felt very uncertain about things. He'd suddenly become very wealthy and just wasn't sure. He felt unsteady. I like the way you defend Obinse. Look at you. <laughs> you just said you didn't really like the wife, but Obinse, he has all the reasons in the world to marry her. <laughs> all right, you're right. Yeah. A friend of mine said, it's so annoying how blind you are. But she, yeah. she said to me, Obinse is the only character you're, you're, you're just blinded by. Yeah. And until really, she I, said I that, you, I think, I think you are in love with Obinse. I think that is a fair comment. <laughs> Yeah. But he is also, he's a very he's, sweet man. He's, he's a romanticized version of what I think all men should be. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of a clue. That's kind <laughs> that of now, now all the male listeners will read your book <laughs> and just like a re no, but you recipe. Know, he's, he's kind and he's thoughtful and he's intelligent and he listens. I mean... But I must say, if, 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 I, if I may say so, actually, most of the men that Ifimelo deal with are kind yeah. and intelligent yeah. and uh, yeah, that's true. helpful yeah. and cook for her and take her to Paris and... Yes. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it's also, I mean, for me, what's interesting, I think that the female readers who have disliked Ifemelu because of that. Really? Yeah, they've said, why isn't she grateful? She has all of these good men and she doesn't really deserve them. <laughs> and <laughs> but it's true, the men, the, 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 the men are good men. I, mean, I think the world is full of good men. But 
<laughs> but I also wanted this book to be a certain kind of love story, the sort of traditional, you know, ridiculously romantic love story, which is why she leaves these ostensibly good men because there's the idea of the great love. And, yeah. and I don't know how true this is, but I like the idea of it. <laughs> you like a happy ending. I actually usually don't. I, no? I was very worried that I wouldn't be able to do a happy ending because it's hard for me. I'm, 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 I'm a little suspicious of a certain kind of excessive happiness. Yeah. And, and with the novel, because, it, and I like to say that this, this novel was written in the grand tradition of the romance novels I read when I was a teenager. Um, but hopefully that this is a much better version of them. Uh, what what were books, Can you mention one? Yeah, there's a series of, um, it was called The Mills and Boone. Aha! <laughs> I, I think every teenage girl in Nigeria and boy read Mills and Boone novels. And, and there were, I mean, you, I, I could actually write one in a week because it's very formulaic and, and much of it was, and of course, as most romance books at the time, were very male, so it was the, the, you know, they would hate each other when they first meet and then the man would be forceful, maybe he would pull her to him and then she would melt. Next to that sort of thing. That sounds great. <laughs> well, I mean, I, <laughs> and, and the assumption somehow in those books was there was no female agency. You know, it was sort of, you, you waited until the man, you know, there was no, the woman didn't act. And so actually you're striking back with the female look because she doesn't wait. Yeah. Female agency is very important to me, yes. So, but you know, but at, at the same time, I wanted to write. A, but you know, there's a. a I'm, I, I think love is very important. I think love is the most important human emotion, and I wanted to celebrate love in this book and different kinds of love. So, Ifemelo adores her, her cousin, and I, and there's something, and that that love was very much based on my own adoration of my nephew, who I just deeply adore. That child, he's. 21, and I, he can do no wrong in my eyes. <laughs> and I think it's vaguely dangerous to, <laughs> to love somebody too much. But I, I wanted to celebrate that love, but also romantic love, which is why when I was getting to the end of it, and I never quite knew how my books will end, I started to worry that I might not be able to pull off the romantic ending, because there's a part of me that just is drawn to the dark. So I thought maybe somebody will die, right? And <laughs> you had me worried, actually. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But you know, in the end, I was like, you know, it's a, it's a triumph for love. And uh, I, I quite like the ending. Many of my serious literary friends don't like the ending. Really? Yeah, which is a good sign, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when we talked about before that there's so much literature uh, within the literature and writing is so important, when Obinsi comes to actually beg Ifemelu to to take him on, uh, he has written the whole explanation down. Is it easier to write things than to say them? For me, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, maybe not easier, but I think writing can... Yeah, I... I... So sometimes if, if, if I have friends who are going through difficult, deeply emotional uncertainties, I say to them, write. I think it can be helpful. I mean, it sounds a bit cliched, but yeah. <laughs> and, but in Obinze's case, of course, again, it was part of this book being a celebration of words, the reading of words, the writing of them, because she and Obinze also have a, when they reconnect, it's a relationship that's also based on words because they're writing to each other and they haven't spoken. 
and and they write about what's happened to them in the, in the in the in the times that they haven't been in touch, and they and I think that even the writing itself becomes a, a kind of a ritual of some sort of symbol of reconnection or something. Mm. Even now here in the extract we heard when he's most desperate, he turns around and takes out a book. Yeah. So there, there is this notion of a kind of salvation within the written and read word. Yeah, yes, I think that's a, I like that reading. I'm going to say that the next time I do an interview. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a sentence snatcher. <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> Good for you. The we are going to end this conversation by having you read a small part from the book, because you should always have the last word. Uh, but I was just wondering, while we find the place, if if I, I've. This love for Obinze is not just the character he is, but somehow I felt while I was reading it that he was also a, a reminder of Half of a Yellow Sun. Some, somehow he takes some of Half of the Yellow Sun. There's a connection between those two books. I don't know if this is completely spooky uh, thinking, but, but I felt that he was like a character who could have been there too. Uh, something that... A ghost from... That's actually <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. No, I... Uh, I mean, of course, it wasn't conscious, but I think that's... Uh, maybe I'll say that again. I'll say that in my next <laughs> I think that what you... you know, I say the same things over and over, then I get so bored with myself, so I have to think about something else to say. You so I'll just, just steal your sentences. You prick up your curiosity. I was so afraid you were going to be too bored tonight. No, not with you. <laughs> not with you. Not with you. So you will... We will end this conversation. I will say thank you to Ellen for reading yes, uh, for you. us. Thank you. And, and, uh, can you find it? Because I think I, t I took it with my taxi receipt here. This is it. You can... Uh, okay. <laughs> we thought we might have this problem. Okay. <laughs> Alexa, flush with red wine. Her eyes, red below her scarlet hair, changed the subject. Blomkett must be sensible and make sure this country remains a refuge. People who have survived frightful wars must absolutely be allowed in. She turned to Obinze. Don't you agree? Yes, he said. And he felt alienation run through him like a shiver. Alexa and the other guests and perhaps even Georgina, all understood the fleeing from war, from the kind of poverty that crushed human souls. But they would not understand the need to escape from the oppressive lethargy of choicelessness. They would not understand why people like him, who were raised well-fed and watered, but mired in dissatisfaction, conditioned from birth to look towards somewhere else and eternally convinced that real lives happened in that somewhere else. They were now resolved to do dangerous things, illegal things, so as to leave. None of them starving or raped 
or from burned villages, but merely hungry for choice and certainty. Thank you. Du har lyttet til en podcast fra Det Kongelige Bibliotek. Husk, at du kan abonnere på podcasten i din foretrukne podcast-app. Hvis du kunne lide, hvad du hørte, så del det gerne med andre, der også kunne være interesserede. Hvis du har kommentarer til podcasten, så find Den Sorte Diamant på Facebook, hvor du også kan holde dig orienteret om kommende arrangementer i Diamanten. Podcasten er produceret af Kulturafdelingen på Det Kongelige Bibliotek, og musikken er af Søren Jacobsen.